0: Good morning, Will. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, Arrow. So good to talk with you. Dude, I gotta tell you, we've needed this book. I, You know, you get tired of going to Google or Yahoo or Bing, trying to find out information about people. With this book, Lou Reed, The King of New York, finally I've got something I can have in my own hands. Well, thank you. Uh,
1: You know, I I wanted to try and balance making a reference book that had all the information that any Lou Reed, Velvet Underground freak could want, but also have it be, you know, a readable narrative. And his life story is. Fascinating. So hopefully, I balance those two things.
0: But one of, one of the biggest strengths that you've got is that it feels like it's happening right now. In other words, the way that you give it to the reader, it's like wow. And then and then you go and you I, I kept finding myself jumping onto YouTube to go listen to this song or to go do this kind of thing. I mean, you you give us a continuation here.
1: Oh, good. That's, that was the idea, really. I mean, so much of my career as a writer has really just been to turn people on to great music that, you know, makes me feel good. And so I'm kind of spreading it. But, uh, but yeah, I, you know, I put in a lot of detail. I put in a lot of uh, description of music. Lou Reed was a guy who is very famous without having a whole lot of his music played on the radio, though there right. are the signature songs. Um, so I really wanted to show people the breadth of uh, how much great work he did besides Walk on the Wild Side and Sweet Jane, which of course are uh, irrefutable. Classics
0: That's interesting That you bring up Walk on the Wild Side Because that seems To be the only song That most people know And and I wish that people Would jump on Alexa Or go to iHeartRadio Put in Lou's name And really take a journey
1: yeah yeah and especially the Velvet Underground because you know like a lot of artists a lot of musicians you know they they do an incredible amount of their greatest work not all of it but a lot of it when they're young and Lou Reed started with a group called the Velvet Underground which came up alongside the Beatles the Grateful Dead like every classic rock band you could imagine but they just never got the fame they never had the hit singles there were a variety of reasons for that not because The quality of the music so much, but bad production, and also, you know, dealing with topics that uh, didn't quite pass muster with the uh, broadcast radio uh, gatekeepers uh, of the day. Um, Walk on the Wild Side being the exception when he went solo, which also deals with stuff that didn't wind up on the radio a lot, but uh, that one broke through for a for a variety of reasons, so I hope people check out The Velvet Underground uh, first and foremost, because a lot of his great work is was done with them.
0: Well, you know, you, you being associated with Rolling Stone magazine, I mean, you, you know how the mystique of music and the bands were back then. I mean, I mean, look at Led Zeppelin that went through the same thing. We didn't know everything about the band, and I think that's part of the reason why I bought the magazines and got to know The Velvet Underground in the way of going, this is mine. I'm going to call this mine. Yep.
1: Yep, sure. And I grew up with Rolling Stone and I uh, bought those magazines. This is pre-internet. You couldn't find out about these bands anywhere else other than the music press. The Rolling Stone uh, operation was the most high profile
0: one and then there were a lot of smaller magazines, but that's where we had to go, right? Yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, one of the fascinating things here. I didn't know that he had a collaboration with Andy Warhol. I'm I'm a freak on Andy Warhol because I wanted to know his inside mind and the way that he thought. He was such a numbers guy. Everything was all based on numbers. Did he teach any of that language to Lou Reed or how did they swap things out? Oh, they were they were really tight for a
1: period of time, and even when they sort of had a falling out, um, they stayed in touch. And you know, Andy was kind of a mentor to Reed. He was about ten years older, and uh, he uh, was a pop artist. Obviously, he was a painter and a great conceptual. Art dude, um, but he wanted to get into multimedia. Nowadays, every visual <laughs> artist, like they're making films and they're, you know, doing performance art, all this stuff. But Warhol was uh, one of the first, really, a pioneer in deciding, hey, I'm a visual artist, I'm a painter, but I want to make films. Yeah. So, and I want to do light shows and I want to do other stuff. And, uh, but I need a rock band. So, he went to see the Velvet Underground when they were playing in a dinky little coffee house in lower Manhattan. And uh, he was like, okay, this is a band that's singing about some interesting stuff. Um, they had a viola player, John Cale, who was a very sophisticated yes. classical music composer and uh, and instrumentalist who was into making a lot of noise. Um, <laughs> he was into making noisy classical music. Um, and uh, Andy was like perfect band for my uh, multimedia uh, project, which became uh, known as the Exploding Plastic Inevitable. <laughs> um, very 60s name. And, uh, and that was uh, the Velvet Underground traveling around the country um, with Andy Warhol. And they were doing light shows, some of the original light shows, there's a lot of argument as to whether the light shows that came out of the psychedelic scene in San Francisco in the 60s were not introduced to them by the Velvet Underground, who played the Fillmore. Um, They were one of the first bands to play there. Wow. so uh, so yeah and Lou and Andy stayed uh, stayed friends throughout the years and when Andy Warhol died Lou did a beautiful um, tribute album um, with John Cale called uh, uh, songs for drella
0: see this is every bit the reason why we need books like this because i mean as we continue to grow forward with music we we can't lose the history and i know that a millennial or even some even generation z is going to come through and, and you know they're going to go what is this book they're going to read it and then it's going to introduce themselves to something new i love it when the younger people listen to the older music because i we can you i didn't have that as a kid i had only our music everybody today can have our music we we share it all as one
1: Right, the joy of the internet, I mean, there's a curse to it also, but uh, the joy is that the entire history of recorded music pretty much um, is out there if you want to look, and uh, the- um you know the kids who are getting a whole bunch of young artists uh, alongside of the the elders um, can tap into this, make connections. And I'm still a working journalist. I love writing about new bands. I yes. love discovering new bands and writing this book. It was really important to me to connect. Like, why should I care about Lou Reed in 2023 if I'm like you know a 20 year old? college rock fan, um, I tried to make those connections.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, a lot of these new bands, because I love talking to them, too, because, man, they're dreamers and they've got that ambition to make it big. And then when they bring up a name like Lou Reed, you're going, how the hell did you know that? You're not even old enough for that. But then you realize they study the art and the history of music as well.
1: Right. And anybody, I mean, Lou Reed aimed high. Yeah. Like, did he, did he always make great music? No. I mean, you're an artist. You have successes. You have failures. You have stuff that's kind of meh. But um, he was always aiming high. He went to school um, and studied with Delmore Schwartz, who is one of the great American poets. And he aspired to be a poet in his song lyrics. And he also aspired to be a storyteller. And Walk on the Wild Side certainly is kind of like a telescoped play or short story. And uh, I think any songwriter uh, working in rock that wants to tell a narrative story has got to like look at what Lou Reed did cuz he really laid the groundwork.
0: Let's let's talk about that poetic side of Lou Reed because I know what it's like to go into the studio with your poetry re- about ready to be laid down on the tracks. But the thing is though is that when the engineer looks at you and says I'm I'm not feeling it. You've you've got to rework your words. Did did Lou have to go through that kind of a, you know, it, it's painful that when when you cuz it's like this is my art, this is my poetry and then it doesn't match with what's going on with the music.
1: Well, it's funny because Lou Reed was a guy who, and Laurie Anderson talked about uh, Lou and how he was the kind of writer that like, she's like, he'd wake up and he'd like write a song and it would be complete with like no cross outs on the page. Yeah. And it's like, I'll go through lyrics for, you know, weeks, months trying to like get them just right. And Lou, it just sort of comes out fully formed. But if you listen to, you know, some of his greatest songs. Um, that he did with The Velvet Underground, there are multiple recorded versions and sometimes the lyrics are radically different. Um, and uh, that's exciting like there's an album called uh, Velvet Underground Live 1969 and that has some songs like uh, Sweet Jane and New Age um, I think Rock and Roll is on there too that uh, became very famous in later versions on Rock and Roll Animal and on the, uh, the final Velvet Underground album Loaded but uh, the lyrics are totally different so that's kind of neat.
0: Dude I can so relate with that with the idea of the way that he did that with the Different versions because, but I, what I would do is I would put the title of the song and then I would put chapter one. Then I'd re-record it chapter two, and and then then we would all sit down and listen to it inside the room. Because we go, okay, which version of this do you like? Because it do- it doesn't stop you because uh, you know the, a song evolves and you've just got to be present for it. Right, because different things happen when it meshes with music. And
1: of course, if you're working in a band, then every member is going to bring something different and maybe unforeseen to the mix. That's part of the magic. But it also means that you have to pivot
0: to make that work. I know that you're a journalist, but now you're also a book author. Do they get along with each other? Because those are two different personalities.
1: They are two different personalities. And, uh, you know, one is immediate gratification. You know, <laughs> I have a deadline. And it also, you have a deadline that's like right in your face. It's just like, dude, I need this on Friday. You got to give it up Friday. <laughs> so, you know, you write it fast, you get it out there, it's posted, you get the satisfaction of having closure. Um, writing a book is a totally different beast, but. It gives you the time, which uh, as a journalist, I don't always have the time. And in fact, in the internet era, less and less time between... Deciding to write a piece, being asked to write a piece, and having to put the piece out there. Um, this book, I knew I wanted to write it. Been a Lou Reed and Velvet Underground fan for most of my <laughs> most of my conscious life. Um, I knew that I was going to take time to do this right, and uh, you know, it took the better part of ten years. I started this back in uh, late uh, 2013. Yeah. So. Uh, Here we are.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you explained it that way because I was going to ask you, please don't give us a two hour documentary on, on Hulu. Give us a nine part series that we can binge watch with something like this because I want to have enough air to breathe so I can take it all in. I hope
1: so. You know, I mean, from your, uh, from your voice to, uh, the, uh, the The producer's ears <laughs> <laughs> that haven't contacted me yet, <laughs> but um, that is now a thing. You know, that wasn't really a thing even ten years ago. I mean, the idea of like a multi-part documentary, um, but now that's kind of the coin of the realm with streaming and such. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited at the prospect.
0: You write in a way that makes it sound like that you've been best friends or you've been a really good friend with, with Lou Reed on this, because it sounds like that Lou spoke to you and you're going, by the way, I had a conversation yesterday with Lou Reed. Here's what was going on. Well, you know, I didn't really. I mean, I've, I I met him a few
1: times. Yeah. I interviewed him. Um And uh, he is, uh, you know, he's just such a New York figure. (laughs) I grew up in New York. I spent most of my life in New York. I certainly know a lot of people um, in his sphere. And I spoke to them, and I really tried to root the book in his words because, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's been written about Lou Reed. A lot of it's Mm -hmm. not true. A lot of it... Is uh, stuff that he said about himself that was untrue, which <laughs> doesn't help matters um, in terms of trying to get the story straight. But uh, he was a character, and um, you know, I just really tried to talk to everybody who is still alive, and uh, may they rest in peace, a lot of the people I spoke to are no longer alive, right. um, but I'm glad to have gotten a chance to speak to the great Hal Wilner, to speak to um, Billy Name, who was uh, Andy Warhol's um, kind of very close friend and right-hand man back in the 60s factory days, and uh, Hollywood Lawn, and wow. um, a lot of other people. So.
0: Well you know that's I think that's one of the toughest things about being a fan of music for as many years as I've been in radio and, and and the thing is is that it's like those that are gone they're still a part of us and it's like when 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 we speak of them not being here it's like well no i I, I have this book they're here and and it's like their presence still lives inside each of us that we're fans right
1: you know you have that you have the recordings yes. you have the emotions that you felt when you first heard the recordings back when you were a teenager or in college or when you met your first you know wife or husband what have you and uh you know lou reed came up in an era where there wasn't a lot like the velvet underground there weren't a lot of interviews a lot of documentary material right, but exactly. there was some and 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 it's out there now with the internet you can like listen to a lot of early uh early interviews there's some film clips out there it's a very dodgy video from the mid 70s and you know i tried to use all of that for research material too so hopefully if people want to go down the rabbit hole they can find a you know Lou, Lou reed performing in australia in 1974 giving a very cantankerous press conference um, at the sydney airport Um, and uh, it's uh, quite entertaining you can lose a day
0: (laughs) (laughs) now one thing that i've never found with lou reed and i I would love to find out why it didn't happen why am i not seeing him on american bandstand why didn't i see him on an ed sullivan or a variety show like that
1: well Lou Reed wrote about uh, you know I mean some people would call it dirty realism yes. like he really liked to look at you know kind of the darker corners of life <laughs> and uh, you know and he would find beauty you know in, in all over the place but he didn't flinch from writing a song about heroin which talked about it didn't advocate right. doing heroin but it tried to depict um, addiction and the appeal of that drug um, in the mind of somebody who used Used it, he wrote about um, like S and M relationships in Venus and Furs. That was based on a book that was written in the 1800s. He wrote about um, you know he wrote about violent scenarios, abusive scenarios, and that was not the kind of stuff that was going to fly on American Bandstand necessarily. It was not summer of love material <laughs> when the <laughs> Velvets were playing in the late 60s.
0: Which is so. so different from today because today we just bleep it out of the song. It's like, okay, we know what this song is about. We're just going to bleep out the bad words. Right.
1: Yeah. Nowadays, you know, all this stuff turns up in uh, pop radio songs all the time. And, you know, with satellite radio, the uh, the restrictions are, are even less in streaming. So. Um, yeah, he was ahead of his time in a lot of ways. What's your next book about? Who are you going to get for us? That's a good question. I'm, uh, I'm kind of, uh, it took me a little while to land on Lou Reed after my first book, uh, Love Goes to Buildings on Fire, which was about New York's music scene in the mid 70s, about everybody from Bruce Springsteen to the New York Dolls and Patti Smith and television. Um, so I'm going to, you know, I'll take a little time and. Uh, You know, hopefully I'll uh, knock it out in less than 10 years (laughs) with whatever the next project is.
0: Was there ever one of those moments, though? Because, you know, you said that you started this in 2013. I'm also a book author, and I've been quoted to say many times that I'm not going to get that time back. In other words, you dedicated so much of your time into these pages, but but everything else continued to move in the real world
1: yeah I mean you constantly you pivot you update new yep. material like taking a lot of time has its pluses like uh, there's a, a beautiful documentary that the director Todd Haynes put together called the Velvet Underground and that just came out two years ago so had I published earlier, I wouldn't have had the benefit of uh, of seeing that a lot of things that were reissued and a huge archive of Lou Reed's um belongings, writings, recordings at the New York Public Library that was only made available back in uh, 2019, so sometimes playing the long game is the way to go.
0: Where can people go to find out more about you and to really dive into what you have brought to us as readers?
1: oh thank you thank you for uh, for the opportunity I've written for a whole lot of places <laughs> I started my career really full-on in uh, in Minneapolis at a publication called city pages I jumped to spin magazine yes. and uh, re- that wrote, so the archives of spin there's a lot of my stuff I jumped to Rolling Stone did a lot of work with them I've worked for national public radio so there's like wow. audio material and also the New York Times um, I've been doing
0: stuff for them because wow. I'm a New York dude <laughs> Well, you got to come back to this show anytime in the future the door is always going to be open for you Arrow, it's such a pleasure to talk to you,
1: man. And uh I'd love to uh you know love to talk to you again. So have a great one. You bet. You'd be
0: brilliant today, okay, sir? We try. Yes, sir. <laughs> you like too, Arrow brother. is. Like Take Arrow, care, arrow is. Yeah, that, that's yes, Arrow's man. brilliant. <laughs> have fun, you guys.
1: Take care, Arrow.